When I was preparing for Easter, I think I told you this last week, I found this wonderful sermon on Philippians chapter 2, so I used that as the base for my sermon last week. And I was pretty pleased with myself because I had gotten one week beyond Easter in my preparation. Of course, that happened Easter week, but still. Then, this week came, and I really didn't have a clue until someone asked me a very difficult question. Why didn't Mary, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus in the garden? So I thought, well, that's a very interesting question. I'm not going to answer it this week. But it just got me thinking, you know, um, about these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Today we're looking at the two men walking along the road to Emmaus in deep grief following the death of Christ and the appearance of a stranger with them. And next week we will look at Mary and her experience of Jesus in the garden. But I will maybe answer the question just a little bit today. The answer I provided this person during the week was really not satisfactory to her at all. Anyway, so I'm not sure how well we'll do with that. But my prayer, as you heard, is that God will move in us and teach us what he wants us to know this day. This is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And when it says at the beginning, now that same day, this passage follows directly that passage, the recounting of Mary seeing Jesus. So it is Easter day, resurrection day that this occurs. Now, at that same, now that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in, the last, in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed, them over to be, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find this body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now first I will attempt to answer to a degree that question of why did they not recognize Jesus? And it's, it's interesting, this is in the passive voice in verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. Now some say it was evening, but the text says evening was still a little ways off. It was nearing evening, so it was probably not dark. Some might say, and I lean a little bit this way, that while we will have bodies in the resurrection, those bodies will be different than our current bodies, and therefore they didn't recognize his resurrection body, even though it, he was the same person, and we will be the same people in the resurrection as we are now. So there might be something like that, but then there's also this passive voice that says they were kept from recognizing him either by their own presupposition that people don't raise from the dead, so this couldn't be the guy that we saw, uh, or that God had moved in them so that they were unable to see who Jesus was. So there's your answer. Lots of possibilities, nothing definite. But we do know from the Word of God that they did not know who he was. And these guys were walking along heartbroken, they had believed, and now it says he, they were disciples, and it's important to realize that there were a lot of disciples of Jesus, not just the 12. The 12 were his leadership team, so to speak, but the, there were many others who were around at various events in uh, the life of Jesus, and um, so these were disciples who had been around a lot. They had seen Jesus quite a bit, and they had followed him. They had put, pinned their hopes on him. And they say, we thought he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And that word redeem is found only once in the book of Luke, but 150 times in the Old Testament. So Jesus uses that connection with the Old Testament to then tell them, look at this. Understand the book that you've read. Understand the book that you think you know and see that the, the servant, the Messiah, had to suffer. It's part of the plan, and it's written right here. And they finally understood, and this brings up a problem for many of us. We follow Jesus, we come to church, we go maybe to classes, whatever it might be, but are there blind spots for us? Are there presuppositions for us that, that cloud our real experience of Jesus? These guys, I mean, it's understandable to not believe that people who you saw dead would be, you'd then see alive. This, this happened to everyone who experienced the resurrection. None of them were totally convinced when they first saw him, and most of the accounts say that people some believed and some doubted, and even those who, doubt, who believed probably had a mixture of doubt mixed in. But the question, though, is what in my belief system 
keeps me from fully embracing who Jesus is? What in my belief system causes me pain and struggle because it doesn't work right? I believe in Jesus. I think that means that this, 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 and this will happen, that maybe um, I will have an answer to certain prayers that I pray for years and years, and it doesn't happen. Well, if, if Jesus' job is to get me what I want, then this whole system is a failure. But the problem is that that is not Jesus' job. But many people have um, something in their system of belief that contradicts what the Scripture actually says. There are many, many, many people in this world who I think are inoculated with Jesus. In other words, they get just enough to make them believe that they are safe. But they think that just enough is enough. They think that just coming forward in a meeting one time back when you were a teenager is enough. They think that um, believing what they think are the right things is enough. Some even believe that coming to church and giving to the offering is enough. But as good as those things are, what Jesus calls us to is to walk with him. It was when these guys were walking with Jesus that he was able to reveal the deeper truths about himself, the more true truths about himself, so that they were able to put aside their wrong thinking and embrace right thinking. It, people, it's not enough to say, I raised my hand once. It's not enough to say, yeah, I, I believe. What we looked at last week says, calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It goes on to say, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. But don't miss the call upon believers to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I think that part of the problem that we're having in the church generally, I'm not speaking about anyone here, but there's a general decline of church attendance. And I, I'm not sure that that means that people, there are some who don't believe, and there are probably more who don't believe now than there were before, but a large part of this problem, I think, is that other things come in and say, you have to do this, you have to do that, and people say, well, so it's not so big a deal that I go to church on a Sunday morning. I told you about my friend who asked his pastor, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And the pastor said, no. When I see that guy next time... You don't have to go to church to be a nominal Christian. But nominal Christians are often confused. Nominal Christians are so close to the edge. You don't want to stand that close to the edge. What Christ calls us to is a commitment 
a commitment of our lives, a commitment to continue to learn from him, a commitment to continue to study the scriptures so that any ideas that we have that are maybe cultural or just our own hopes uh, that are contradictory to scripture, we'll, we'll have to recognize those and, and put them aside and, and follow Christ faithfully, who Christ really is. Because if you're not following the true Christ, you're following a made-up God. A God that you've conceived of, that culture has given you, a God that lacks the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, in my research for this week, I came across a lot of articles and um, sermons that were saying, you know, about the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is beautiful because whether Jesus actually rose from the dead or not, he gives us hope as we face difficulties in the world. Uh, we don't have to believe in this substitutionary atonement. In other words, that God was angry and, and called for the shedding of blood because we, we've just, we've, we've moved beyond that. Uh, we, we're not comfortable with that. Let's move beyond that. And, and what they're doing is saying, we have presuppositions that maybe there's no real supernatural. One uh, article I read actually was talking about the power of the resurrection even when you don't believe in God. What? The resurrection is powerful because Jesus Christ is God's son. Because Jesus Christ as God took on the fullness of humanity and redeemed humanity through, sorry to say, folks, the shedding of blood. Oh, I don't like that. So what? <laughs> it, it, it confounds me that people want to assume certain things and then force the scripture into what they think it should be. And some of those people actually write articles to help other people understand their way. That's a frightening place to live as far as I'm concerned. Jesus Christ, when he was walking with these two men, Cleopas, we know his name, the other guy we don't, Cleopas and his friend, pointed out to them through Scripture, this is what has to happen. This is who this suffering servant is. This Messiah who will bring redemption also has to suffer. He most likely, it says he started with Moses, he probably... <laughs> I'm like 99.9% .9 sure he spoke about the Passover. He spoke about the need for the shedding of blood for the Passover. He spoke about the system of, of sacrifices that were necessary for the forgiveness of sins, and he probably pointed out that those sacrifices had to happen over and over and over again, and as many times as you sacrificed and felt forgiven, there was the next time when you didn't know until you sacrificed again. But Jesus Christ's sacrifice was once for all for the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, 
you don't have to sacrifice again. But the sacrifice was necessary. Not because that's how I think it should be. Not because that's how educated philosophers think it should be. But it is what needs to be because it is what needs to be. We don't determine what needs to be. God determines what needs to be. And for the forgiveness of sins, there needed to be a shedding of blood. And Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he appeared. He appeared after he rose again from the dead. He appeared, uh, in one account it says, to over 500 people. But I love that he appeared to these two guys on the road. These, you know, he appeared to John, and he appeared to Peter. We'll talk about that in one of the upcoming weeks when he talks to Peter about Peter's denial and, and sort of brings some restoration to Peter. Um, and he, he appeared to Mary, who was a very close associate. So, yeah, he appeared to all the important folks, but these guys, Cleopas, who's Cleopas? The other guy. Who's the other guy? We don't even know his name. But Jesus chose to appear to these two and walked with them. Yeah, he called them foolish, but it wasn't, you know, he didn't just walk away. He, after calling them foolish, he embraced them and taught them. His heart was that they would understand. These guys are just normal folks. They're not the leaders. They're not the important people. And I believe that this account is in our scripture to tell us that Normal folks, Jesus is here for us too. Jesus cares enough about you and about me to walk with us, to speak with us, to interact with us in ways that lead us to experience what these two experience. My probably favorite part of this passage is verse, verse 32 after they realized who Jesus was and he departed from them, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Burning hearts, that's my prayer. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. That the risen Christ would be so real to us that our hearts would burn within us. That this would not, that our faith would not just be something in our minds, a, an assent to various beliefs, but it would be something in our hearts, something that we know, not just mentally, but also experientially and also emotionally, spiritually. These guys got to experience that. I believe that we can, too. I would encourage you to take the time, the effort, to continue to learn, to continue to learn who Jesus Christ truly is so that your relationship is with the true living Christ not with a preconception, not with an idea, but with the actual person 
Jesus Christ. Then I would encourage you to ask him to show himself to you. That you would know him, but also know him in your mind and in your heart. So as we come to this table this morning, that will be my prayer. Let us pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we are deeply humbled by your sacrifice for us. Obedience even to the point of death. Because of love. Because of the magnitude of your love for us. We thank you. And Lord, I pray that during this time, as we receive this sacrament, that your Holy Spirit would move in us, that we would sense your presence, that we would sense that burning in our hearts, whatever form that might take for us, but that we would sense the power and presence of your Holy Spirit nourishing us in our walk with you. Lord, for those who are struggling with doubt, I pray that you would give them a stronger faith, that they would be assured of your reality, of your truth. We thank you that you, through the history of humanity, have reached out to people to draw them to yourself, that you have rescued your people through the waters of the sea, and that you have rescued your people through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to receive the new life that is ours in him. May this bread be for us the body of Christ so that we are strengthened to be the body of Christ in this world, walking so closely with him that we naturally reach out with his arms, our arms as his arms, go where he calls us to go, say what he calls us to say, be who he calls us to be. And I pray that this cup would be for us the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ coursing through our veins with new life, new life that is abundant, new life that is eternal, new life that has quality that is far different than anything we can experience or have apart from you. I pray for you to move in this sacrament to draw us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.